Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Well, let me just start by saying that I feel totally misled by my elementary school teachers about American history and the Battle of Little Bighorn. Why is that? Well, my memory's a bit foggy, but whenever I would think of Little Bighorn and Custer's Last Stand, I thought of General Custer as the protagonist, like a noble avenger on the frontier. But as we discovered from our time at Little Bighorn Battlefield National Monument in Montana— that is decidedly not really the case. Oh, not at all. It was definitely one of those more eye-opening and emotional trips to a national park for us, uh, right up there with Gettysburg. It's a modest park, but we learned more in a few hours here than probably the entire year of sixth grade, or ever, whatever year that was. Yeah. I mean, there's a chance I wasn't really paying attention during that class, probably because it was taught by the same teacher who made me literally rap about Hades. So I tended to just block her out after that, like, she's dead to me. But I I remember things totally wrong from, like, what I'm trying to piece together now. But still, I felt like one of those emojis with the part of their head blowing off in enlightened shock. Like, <laughs> Little Bighorn is just mind-blowing. Yeah, we were both just a couple of enlightened emojis after this trip, that's for sure. Um, so let's get right into it and share our experience at Little Bighorn Battlefield National Monument. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Brad. This is Parklandia, a production of iHeartRadio. We sold our loft in Chicago, moved into an RV, and now we're traveling the country full-time with our dog, Finn, exploring America's national parks. And this week's episode is on Little Bighorn Battlefield National Monument in Montana. History. So for those of you who are like me and have very foggy misconceptions about Little Bighorn, or perhaps you were my classmates at St. Anthony's in Manchester, New Hampshire, and you were also ignoring Mrs. Lashinsky. Let's clear some of the basic facts for you. Yeah. Do you think your teacher has any idea that she's being been a reincurring character on our podcast? Yeah, that's a good question. We've I've talked about her in at least three episodes at this point, which is kind of crazy because I haven't thought about her in like 20 years, but now she's like a rec- literally a recurring character in, in my life. <laughs> she probably, she has no idea though. And I I wonder where she is. I I give her I know I give her a lot of flack now, but 
She really was pretty great. She clearly left an impression, even though she was a hard ass. And I'll give it to her that she thought way outside of the box. I mean, what other teacher would make their their students rap about Greek gods or <laughs> any of that? But she did. Also, she also gave me my first attention. So you, mixed feelings. You've had wait, wait. You said your first. That means my you've first. had multiple. I'm probably I probably had multiple. I think I I remember sixth grade was my rebellious year where I just like got crazy and like like got sent to the principal's office and had to like have my parents sign notes. I don't know. I was rebelling hard. I was really docile and nice through fifth grade and I just went like yeah. haywire. I definitely had a lot of detentions, suspensions. Oh. Uh, all the all the above. You're lucky you didn't have Mr. Lachinsky. She would not yeah. have left that flame. I mean like where would we be without Mrs. Lachinsky though? I know. It's kind of like the butterfly effect, you know? Except this is the, the Mrs. Lachinsky effect. Like if I hadn't had her, where would I be? I'd probably be Completely different. Probably not here today to talk about the Battle of Little Bighorn. Um, (laughs) But we're going to get into that now because that's what we're actually here to talk about. Right. Yeah. So first, a refresher on American history. Little Bighorn Battlefield is located in southern Montana. It's about halfway between the middle of the state and the eastern portion of the state. The state is huge, in case you didn't know that. Yeah. Um, it's close to the Wyoming border and about three and a half hours from Yellowstone. The closest, like, bigger city is Billings, Montana, which is about an hour west of the park. Yeah, it serves as a monument to the Battle of Little Bighorn, which took place June 25th and 26th in 1876. Weirdly, exactly 100 years after the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, that's oddly poetic in a kind of dark way, or a very dark way, yeah. <laughs> Especially because it illustrates the ongoing struggles between Native Americans and new settlers and how it most certainly did not end right away. Like, still, it's still going on today, so. Yeah, it's really sad. Um, As this battlefield was and this monument is, um, actually, it's a nice memorial for the legacy of the Lakota, Northern Cheyenne, and Arapaho peoples. Yeah, nice might be subjective, though. The battle alone was definitely a violent tragedy, but... Over the ensuing years, this place was fraught with even more drama and even more conflict, mostly because for a long time the battlefield was preserved primarily to commemorate and celebrate General Custer and his American troops. Like, excuse me. Yeah, a lot of Native American history, including the important fact that they were being aggressively forced off their land, especially with this battle, um, has been erased and glossed over. Yeah, which is nuts. And over the years, starting in 1879, when the site was first preserved as a U.S. National Cemetery to protect the graves of cavalry troops, Little Bighorn took on all these different phases and monikers, like National Cemetery of Custer's Battlefield Reservation in 1886, and even more egregious, Custer Battlefield National Monument in 1946. Yes, in 1976, the American Indian Movement finally put their foot down and protested the name of the site, um, which they've done this, they were doing this for years up until that point, but they really right. got into it. Um, and how is it uh, being preserved? Like, it's just, it's not right. Uh, since it primarily honored Custer and his side of the battle, um, which they felt was literally an act of genocide. Yeah, I know. It's crazy to me, and it's crazy and sad that it got to this point where they needed to be like, hey, remember, this wasn't like a one-sided, this isn't black and white, um, and they felt like they were being like fully attacked and murdered and genocide, so I get it. I don't remember exactly what the lesson plan entailed for me in elementary school, so I don't remember like what I initially learned, but I sure remember it like praising Custer, at least I'm like 97% sure it did. 
Like, I remember growing up thinking he was kind of in the hero role. Yeah, I mean, in in American history, he really was. Yeah. And, mm. you know, there is a lot of, there are a lot of times where he was on the right side. But great men yeah. can still mess up. True, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised, though, because judging by how confusing this place was for so many years, it's hard to figure out exactly what happened here, who deserves to be honored and who should be taking top billing. Uh, it's not all black and white. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very gray, very blurry. I think, like, Little Bighorn is as convoluted as it gets, really. But still, one important bottom line is that General Custer isn't the noble, like, heroic steed I was initially led to believe. I'll, I'll give him this, though. His name, Custer, always does make me think of custard, and that's a pleasant little aside that I'll take. I guess that's a good way to find a silver lining. It's a little weird, but you do. Yeah, I, you know, I got to find levity wherever I can, especially with a place like this. And dessert is always a good go-to for me. I, I always c- compare things to, like, sweets and stuff. And custard, it literally sounds like custard, so give me that. So anyway, finally in 1991, the site was renamed Little Bighorn Battlefield National Monument and formalized by President George H.W. Bush, which, I mean, took long enough. Yeah, this was years and years um, after name change after name change, shuffling the park around to the Secretary of War, to the National Register of Historic Places, to the National Park Service. I mean, that's just been Crazy. shuffled and reshuffled. And so a lot of the history is still not accurate and what we need it to be. Right. I feel like all these different organizations are basically playing like hot potato with Bighorn Battlefield, you know, just bouncing it around from one place to the next, renaming it here, renaming it there. It was very confusing and very blurry over the years, which maybe is why all the way back in fifth grade, I was so confused and unsure of what I was learning and who these people were and what these events were. But... Little Bighorn Battlefield is actually also now on the National Register of Historic Places, which that fits fine, and I went through a fit about that. So memorials started being added by burying soldiers' bodies in the ground exactly where they were found until 1881 when they were dug up and reinterred by this new granite memorial constructed at the top of Last Stand Hill. And they initially put stakes on the ground where the bodies were found, but eventually upgraded to marble markers, and we saw a lot of them while we were here. Yes, we did. But the thing I like most is how the monument was finally renamed to honor the Native Americans as well. This included adding an Indian memorial near Last Stand Hill. And once again, it's about time. Yeah, so now fittingly, there are also markers and memorials honored, like honoring warriors like Crazy Horse. Um, in 1999, they even added red granite markers to further highlight them and where they died in combat. Today, you look out over Little Bighorn, and you just see this expanse of both red granite markers and white marble markers. So like you said, it's definitely not black and white at all. I mean, it's technically white marble, but the events of what happened here in 1876 and the following years require research and, most importantly, I think, personal experience. When we visited uh, Little Bighorn, it was the same time period when we were visiting Yellowstone over the summer. Uh, We were staying near Cody, Wyoming for the rodeo a few days before, July 4th. And we Mm -hmm. had a rental car while the RV was stationed at the RV park. So on one day that didn't, I didn't have to work, uh, we decided to make the long drive up to Little Bighorn and back. Yeah, a little ambitious. It was definitely a long drive. And I drove the whole way, by the way, which is probably a nice change of pace for you. You're not used to that. Thank you. Right. Yeah. You got to sit by and relax. It was like 
two and a half hours each way. So a lot of driving, a lot more than I'm used to, which yeah. I'm used to zero. So yeah, and I, I drive a little bit more than that with a you know 26 foot RV and mm-hmm. a little bit more weight and speed restrictions behind yeah, it. But right. uh, I yeah, won't, we won't get to some. I mean, for me, it helped that the speed limits in Montana are like 90 miles per hour. So time is literally flying by. Literally, but. Anywho, we're able to arrive in Little Bighorn by late morning. Make the most of the day. Yeah. Good timing. Museum. And as with most parks, uh, we started in the Visitor Center and Museum. And uh, Little Bighorn had an excellent museum. Totally, yeah. There's just really something about historic battlefield parks, I think. They have some of the best, most immersive museums we've ever seen. And same thing is true at Gettysburg. Same thing is true here. We spent a good while just strolling through and reading and learning because it's all here, like so much history and so much context. So I just, you know, we ju- just play hooky in fifth grade, come here, learn everything in a day, and it'll stick with you far longer, I promise. This is definitely the kind of stuff that burns uh, itself into mm. your brain and your memory. Um, now, while there's like a great museum, there's definitely more and more history right. to dive into, and there's more ways to expand and become more knowing um, throughout this. That's definitely for sure. So take it for its initial value of educating you enough to dig deeper. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, you know, one of the great things. Um, some of the most power stuff in the museum is all the materials collected from the battlefield itself, like ammunition, soldiers' equipment, tools, and even horse bones. Ugh, so gross. I, I can't even deal with the horse bones. Like, I'm the type of person who, I can't watch movies with war or battles, and that's primarily be- because I get upset about horses. Like, when the horses are running into battle, <laughs> I'm like, what about, no, like, they didn't choose this. They don't, Horses don't go to war. They, like, are forced to participate in it. But, you know, leave the horses out of it. I don't want to don't see that. Well, then you're not going to like this fact. Uh, horses played a huge role in the Battle of Little Bighorn. No, I hate it. Yeah. When uh, Lieutenant George S. Godfrey visited Custer Hill two days after the battle, he noted that there were 42 dead men and 39 dead horses here. That would explain why I saw a literal horse cemetery up by Last Stand Hill when I was out there walking around, and I was definitely not emotionally ready for that, and I'm still not emotionally ready to talk about it. It's brutal. It's a hard-to-see place. I mean, it's not one that's uh, coated with beautiful tales. No. Um, And it's important to realize that these animals gave their lives, too. Uh, It's so nice to see them uh, commemorated as well. Yeah, I guess that's true when you look at it that way. Like, they gave their lives as well, so it's nice to see them commemorated, even though stumbling un- unexpectedly across a horse cemetery definitely does look like something out of a Stephen King novel. It's like Pet Cemetery, but with like a battlefield twist. Yeah. Uh, but let's get back to the museum. Uh, there's mm-hmm. also a huge collection of historic photos, manuscripts, maps, art, and records. Um, this place is perfect to really dig into that, like, the context uh, and to try to start understanding it for yourself for the first time um, and the information of the Battle of Little Bighorn, what led to it, and what happened after. Absolutely, because evidently you and I were both going in completely clueless, so thankfully there's this incredible museum to guide us along. Battlefield. So the battle took place on the bluffs, ravines, and ridges that surround the Little Bighorn River. It's not a mountainous area. It's mostly rolling hills and meadows as far as the eye can see. It's really pretty, very tranquil today, but it was utter chaos in 1876 when the Lakota Sioux, Northern Cheyenne, and Arapaho tribes came to a head against the 7th Regiment of the U.S. Cavalry. 
Yeah, it was a gruesome and fierce battle um, of Native Plains tribes pushing back against Americans' westwards expansion um, and the men who aggressively spearheaded that movement. Yeah. It all started in 1868 when the government tried to persuade Lakota leaders to sign the Treaty of Fort Laramie, which would mean ending their nomadic lifestyle and moving to a reservation in South Dakota. But famous Lakota leaders like Crazy Horse and Sitting Bull rejected the, the treaty as it would mean giving up their way of life, for one— restricting their hunting, and essentially being beholden to government subsidies. So things weren't looking good right away, and they only got worse in 1874 when Lieutenant Colonel George Armstrong Custer was sent on a research trip through the Black Hills to find a fitting military site and document the area's natural resources. But on the trip, geologists discovered gold, and this triggered a huge gold rush to miners to the area. So the government once again was trying to push Lakota tribes off their land by purchasing the Black Hills from them. I feel like it always starts with gold and greedy gold rushes, like unsurprisingly, yeah. But again, the Lakota, the Lakota tribe said no. Okay, fair enough. And since the government didn't understand that no means no, they couldn't just acknowledge this and respect it. They only escalated the situation by the Commissioner of Indian Affairs ordering them to move to a reservation by January thirty first, eighteen seventy six. And you can probably guess that they did not do that. So in the following months, generals from throughout the region started assembling troops and migrating towards the Lakota and Cheyenne tribes with the intent to force them onto a reservation. Uh, Custer was leading the 7th Cavalry, which was a large portion of the troops. Yeah, along with General Philip Sheridan, Colonel John Gibbon, and General George Crook, Custer began to descend on the Little Bighorn region in June when all three tribes were gathered for their annual Sundance ceremony. At the time, Sitting Bull actually had a vision of soldiers collapsing into their village, which made them feel like a victory of some sort was on the horizon. Like he was like prophesizing that something might happen, but they'll the tribes will emerge victorious. Yeah. So Custer set up a night camp nearby on June 24th and sent out scouts to report back on the location of the tribes. Uh, by the morning of June 25th, Custer and his men were perched by the Wolf Mountains, uh, only about... 12 miles from the Little Bighorn River. Once he suspected that Indian warriors had discovered them, he commanded an immediate attack on the village, which was estimated to have about 8,000 people. So the first assault took place along Little Bighorn River, where three companies commanded by Major Marcus Reno met warriors for the first time. He wound up withdrawing and fleeing, but warriors chased them down and really weakened his troops, to the point where they had to scurry up some bluffs on the other side of the river. And they were stuck here under fire from warriors uh, until the following morning. Meanwhile, Custer had led troops north along some bluffs to an area called Medicine Trail, uh, where some fighting occurred. Once the warriors had pushed Reno back to the top of the hill, they began to move forward towards Custer. Yeah. So at this point, the 7th Cavalry was severely outnumbered and dwindling, and they were starting to realize that, like, they were in way over their heads, and they kept being pushed back further and further into precarious situations, like the present-day Last Stand site, where many of them cornered, were cornered and eventually killed because they couldn't successfully escape. And this is where that giant granite memorial was built in 1881. Even though the battle was technically a victory for Lakota and Cheyenne tribes' peoples, it only enraged the U.S. government and made them want to force them onto reservations even more. Um, less than one year later, they had surrendered and given up the Black Hills as well, and they were not paid for anything for them. Yeah. Basically, this whole saga was just one epic lose-lose in the most gruesome way.
You are listening to Parklandia from iHeartRadio. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Brad. This is Parklandia. And today's episode is on Little Bighorn Battlefield National Monument in Montana. Now, the main man at the center of this story and this monument and the source of a lot of confusion as well is General Armstrong Custer. Uh, So think it's important to talk more about him and his past as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah. He's a complicated and complex figure, like more so than anyone we've talked about or learned about by far. And he's not overtly in the wrong, but he's definitely not in the right either. Yeah, he was born in Ohio in 1839 and initially wanted to become a teacher before attending West Point Military Academy. Uh, He wound up graduating last in his class in 1861, but he made up for it by volunteering and uh, proving himself as a reliable hard worker. And this was during the Civil War when volunteers and hard workers were needed most. Yeah, and he was such a hard worker that he actually got promoted all the way up to General of Volunteers of the Michigan Cavalry Brigade and eventually up to Major General by the end of the war. He became famous as a leader by always entering battle from the front. Like, 
he was literally the first person to engage with combatants, which is terrifying and also super brave. Yeah, he fought in several battles against Confederate forces and rarely ever received any injuries, which is why he earned the nickname Custer Luck. The only wound he got was from an artillery shell during the Battle of Culpeper Courthouse. That's crazy. Considering he's always leading the charge, that's that's pretty impressive and very lucky, yeah. So this hard work and loyalty and all his efforts in the Civil War were all great and all noble. You know, that's awesome. And that's why his history is not black and white by any means. And he certainly didn't go rogue and attack the Indian village on his own or anything. He was just following orders like he's always done. So that's why he's such a complex figure, I think, is you can't take one instance or one battle from his whole career and just, like, judge him based on that. Because he did really brave, heroic things, sure. But he also did atrocious things. But then you also have to weigh the fact that he didn't do them on his own accord. He didn't just charge into Montana one morning and be like, I'm going to commit genocide today, you know? That's why it's not easy to talk about the little uh, Bighorn Battlefield. Because it's so complicated. You can kind of see both sides, but ultimately you have to realize that none of this would have ever happened if the government didn't aggressively try to force Native Americans off their land. Exactly. And while you're at Little Bighorn, you can get out and experience it for yourself, too, which is what we love. And that's how we came away learning so much. There aren't really any hiking trails or, like, outdoor activities here. It's mostly self-guided walks and stuff like that. Like, we did the Deep Ravine Trail, which is an easy half-mile round-trip trail near the visitor center, and this goes down into the basin by Last Stand Hill. And it's got a self-guided trail map that goes with it, so you can read about important historical facts along the way and see all the different memorial markers in the tall grasses that surround it. Yeah, that was, that was pretty amazing. Very cool. Somber, but cool. There's also Custer National Cemetery, which looks like a mini Arlington, kind of, where graves are marked for known and unknown veterans. It's one of 150 cemeteries in what's called the National Cemetery System across the country, and one of only 14 that the National Park Service manages. Yeah, the cemetery was created after those who died here were already buried on the ground, which is how most national cemeteries operate. Several bodies have since been moved, though, including Custer. Yeah, he was reinterred. At West Point. Another cool thing you can do here is drive along the tour road, which is about four and a half miles with an accompanying cell phone audio tour option. But I think you actually bought a CD at the visitor center. Didn't yeah, you? I, I definitely that. did. A rental car had a CD player, so we were Crazy. able to put it in there and just pause it and listen as we drove from stop to stop. Yeah, I haven't used a CD in a long time, actually. I don't. I don't think I've had a CD since like the last. Now that's what I call music, volume seventy six or whatever. It's been a long time. <laughs> but we could, like, call this audio tour CD, like, now that's what I call Little Bighorn, right? Does that mm, work? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the narration was a little weird and dull, so maybe the cell phone tour is livelier. I don't know. Yeah, but it got the job done. It gave us enough, like, education uh, to just start to understand the process of how the battle went out and it was laid out and why it was uh, put together that way. Since the road and the landscape is pretty plain. Yeah, literally, like, they're plains. So, plain plains. And then the most recent site of the park is the Indian Memorial. And, like we said, about damn time, construction of the memorial was ordered in 1991, and a designer was selected in 1997, and it was finally, finally unveiled in 2003, formally titled the Peace Through Unity Indian Memorial. 
It's a beautiful memorial across the road from the Last Stand Hill, uh, designed to honor the Native Americans uh, who died during combat, protecting their land and their culture, as well as their children. It's important to note that it wasn't just Custer's last stand here either. It was also the potential last stand for local Indians who have called this place home for centuries. And the sculpture of three warriors riding on horseback, which was designed by Oglala Sioux artist Colleen Kutchell, a.k.a. Sister Wolf, is perfectly set so that it looks like they're riding along the Montana prairie in the background. It's really beautiful. The memor- I love the memorial. Yeah, this is the heart of the memorial, which is a large circle that has red dirt in the middle and a stone walkway around it. There are panels for each tribe who fought in the battle as well. And the most emotional part is the weeping wall, uh, where water is consistently flowing down into a pool, designed to represent tears for fallen warriors and soldiers. Yeah, I'm definitely weeping, like, thinking about that. It's powerful stuff. And it gets even better, or by better, I mean more heartbreaking. But the memorial is constructed so that you can actually see the 7th Cavalry Monument from the Weeping Wall, signifying that both warriors and soldiers are welcome in the memorial together in a symbol of unity. Like, very beautiful, very full circle, and it's great to see it all come together this way, especially after such an epic tragedy, and then the years and years and decades of ensuing, like, drama and, like, renaming and disrespecting it's absolutely i mean it's just one of those crazy experiences where you realize what we learned in school or didn't learn or didn't learn is hopefully not what they're still learning today yeah i i can only hope food once we were done at Little Bighorn, we were starving, uh, so we drove outside the park and across the road to this place called Custer Battlefield Trading Post, which has a huge shop filled with Native American goods and clothes, and there's also a restaurant. Yeah, I mean, they should probably update the name of the restaurant to reflect the National Monument, but I still loved it. Yeah, can you blame them? Serving. I mean, really, sure. they, there was so much renaming of this place that, like— <laughs> it's hard to keep up. <laughs> they have to have a new, whole new business license and business plan because it keeps on getting renamed. Very confusing. But our server was wonderful, and the restaurant was so warm and cozy. It really just felt like this huge lodge. And they had, like, one of my favorite foods ever. They had the Indian tacos. Yes, a.k.a. fry bread, um, mm-hmm. heaped with beans, cheese, tomatoes, lettuce. And they even have a sweet version with honey for dipping. Yeah, I kind of wanted to get that. But, you know, I, I just love the—I can't say no to the taco. It's You can't really eat it, like, in a traditional taco, like, handheld form because it's— really layered and it would get really messy but it's a great like knife and fork taco it's like a savory like fried dough yeah with a bunch it's of perfect with a little cup of coffee yeah yeah it really was bottomless cups of, cups of coffee it was great but it was a great little place there's a lot of um touristy-esque uh items in their shops and even some um authentic native american paintings and sculptures and things that you can purchase uh as well so it was a good mix of um all of your needs <laughs> yeah it really was it was a fun store to wander around for a little bit after after lunch eating tacos yeah and we definitely decided to leave the rv back because driving it here would have been really difficult because we weren't like going through here we definitely wanted to make the effort to visit this national uh, battlefield right and i think this is a great example of being mindful of gas with our rv because Mm. that's by far the biggest expense with our rv and driving 
from where we were staying to here and back in the same day would have been like five hours round trip. Would well, have been, it would have been actually was, six, six and a half because oh, the true. RV doesn't go up to Much 90. Bigger. I mean, it can, but it, we're not I driving it at 90. Oh, can you, that would be terrifying. Yeah. Um, and so basically, you know, once you get into seven hours, you're talking about at least $150 in fuel versus taking a car, yeah. five hours round trip. 25, 30 bucks. Right. Yeah, we filled it so up it once. So it makes a big difference. Yeah, we had a compact. Yeah. So like just that day's rental plus that is still cheaper than getting Totally worth it. That. Yeah, it's yeah. worth it. So that's something to factor in, and it all worked out great. Also, taking a car, it leaves less anxiety for us because we're not leaving the RV somewhere, and you know we know that it's securely hooked up somewhere. So there's a lot of things like that to, that just allowed us the freedom to do different things. Because like I couldn't imagine doing that like car tour with oh, the yeah. audiobook in the RV because it would just be a little not fun. Not fun. Exactly. It was um, a narrow road. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, totally narrow. And our RV does not have a CD player, so we'd be out of luck with. That little beauty. Yeah. And so this really just allowed us to connect with the national park and not, and leave our baggage or our home at home. Yeah, literally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ecology. Yes. And our ecological concept of the day is fire-dependent ecosystems. Yes. On the surface, it would seem that fire and ecosystems do not mix. Fire can be dangerous to plants and animals, obviously. I mean, that's what's causing hundreds of thousands of people to evacuate their homes in California right, every right. year. It's, it's horrifying. But the human relationship with fire and ecosystems is different from an ecosystem's relationship with fire. This world is filled with fire food, after all. Oxygen is what fire eats, and there's plenty of it here on Earth. Yeah, this planet has been burning since it was formed. And it's uh, even been argued that humans couldn't have evolved the way that we have without the ability to make fire work for us. Fascinating. However, fire has the potential to destroy what we've built, our homes, communities, and agricultural land. Yes, and for at least a portion of human history, we've tried to keep fire and ecosystems separate, which is, of course, impossible because lightning always strikes eventually. But the more that ecologists study fire, the more they realize that it actually acts like a living, breathing organism. In an ecosystem where fire is allowed to do its thing, there might be a handful of fires every year of varying sizes, intensity, and type. Um, A ground fire might breeze through, burning just organic soil, or it might be accompanied by a surface fire that feeds on grasses, low-growing shrubs, and forest litter. Yes, and then there's crown fires, which might happen after a lightning storm and burn through the tree canopy. As long as fire isn't suppressed, it's unlikely that any of these will be very destructive, at least as long as your house is not in the way of it. Yeah, true there. I've literally been there. Like, yeah, Yeah. first-hand experience. PTSD, I get it. Mm -hmm. Um, Some ecosystems actually require fire to function. Um, And the grasslands at Little Bighorn National Monument are one of them. Yeah, America's grassland prairies are not what they once were. Human agriculture has removed most of the blue bunch wheatgrass, sandberg, bluegrass, and june grass that used to dominate the prairies of the Midwest. But fire has historically been essential in promoting seed production, keeping woody plants from sneaking into the ecosystem, and basically keeping grasslands grassy. Yeah, although lightning is the main way the fires are started in the prairie ecosystem, like the one you see at Little Bighorn, there is a lot of evidence that Native Americans started fires to drive game to promote the production of seeds in the plants they like to eat. Uh, Almost like a weapon in a battle to clear the land for travel. 
Uh, these days, the National Park Service actually ignites and closely manages fires in Little Bighorn and other parks where fire is an important member of a healthy ecosystem, much like in the Everglades. Yeah, we've seen this in a handful of parks and read a lot about it, the the benefits of fire, as long as, you know, it's the right setting and it's obviously not arson because yes, that's never good, but... When and then there's times like uh, Yellowstone where, you know, in the 80s we had that huge fire. Mm-hmm. And that's because we kept on putting out all these small fires and not allowing it to kind of take its course. So then this one happened, which was by human error, but still happened. Um, basically, that cigarette butt lit up the forest. And right. it demolished most of Yellowstone's um, ecosystem. But by allowing it to do what it needs to do and kind of helping it in those ways and doing it in small batches, that's really what they're kind of talking about, this concept of like fire-dependent ecosystems. Exactly. You are listening to Parklandia, a production of iHeartRadio. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity. And it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. Gainbridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. 
at retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Please visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Brad. This is Parklandia. And today we're talking about Little Bighorn Battlefield National Monument in Montana. My favorite. But now that we've sufficiently wept, um, it's really time to wrap up our episode on Little Bighorn and share with each other a favorite part of this national monument. Yeah. So, per usual, we haven't told each other our answers, so it's all a surprise what our little favorite moments were from Little Bighorn. So, do you want to start with what your favorite thing about this park was? My favorite thing about this park was that... Going there, reading, um, looking through history at the museums, uh, even looking through their book collections, um, I really realized that there's much more research to do about Native American culture and history um, in con- like conjunction with American history and the aspect of like civil wars and timelines to understand like what we were actually doing at the same time. So there's so much more history to dive into. And that's what for me, Little Bighorn was just that I still have a lot of learning to do. And I there's a lot more ways to open up my eyes to make sure that I can understand what is American history mm-hmm. and not just written from the Americans side. Right. Beautiful. I Mine is kind of similar. I would say if I'm picking like a, a specific thing or site, the Peace Through Unity Indian Memorial like easily takes the cake. I thought it's just a gorgeous memorial in and of itself, but also what it symbolizes. And like in general with the park on the whole, I think it symbolizes how much I learned and what I took away and how it really rattled me. I went here and I was like, wait, like what I learned in fifth grade is not accurate. Granted, I don't remember much, but like it really kind of shook me up. And ultimately, that was a very positive thing. So it shows how complicated American history is, especially in relation to Native Americans, and especially during this time when this battle took place. And it's just not as cut and dry, not nearly as black and white as I thought this particular moment in history was. And just fascinating. There's a lot to learn here, and it's a very eye-opening park, and just that I think is my favorite. Also, I do want to shout out to Mrs. Lashinsky from fifth grade. I know you tried your best. Bless your heart. I don't remember what your curriculum was. I'm sure it was well-intentioned, but it'd be really fun. It's it's now kind of this weird goal of mine. I would love to go to Little Bighorn Battlefield National Monument with Mrs. Lashinsky, have this, like, this beautiful like reunion there and so if she's somehow if miraculously if she somehow is listening and hears this I would love to do that and she should she should like be a guest like we've talked about her and way too much half the episodes <laughs> in our podcast now so yeah. I really think it's one of those things that we should um, and that's because there's so much more to learn and mm-hmm. we need to keep on educating ourselves keep on traveling keep on trying to understand this beautiful culture and history that we live in the United States because it's very complex very deep many layers and there's so much out there yeah uh, i think the number one thing that i would bring is to open eyes mm. to open ears yeah and an open mind and an open mind and to shut my mouth because I just want <laughs> to learn. I want to see. I want to visualize because 
you have to come in here with an open mind. Yes, you do. There's a lot to take in, so you got to make room for for all this new knowledge that you're learning because there is really is a ton here. And I think you should also bring what like a I think a compact car or a rental car. Like for us, if you're RVing, that's something to be mindful of. Unless you're lucky enough to be like camping right down the street or something where it, yeah. it's kind of negligible. But if you're making any sort of a haul here, then it could be economically challenging. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing to not bring. Do not bring hiking shoes. Don't come here yeah. with like all your national parks like back camping swag because you don't need it. Right. Uh, it's definitely a small place that's very manageable, um, a lot of ADA accessible accessibility. I think the whole part where yeah. anyone else can walk, it's very ADA accessible. Yeah. I think one thing, yeah, you don't need like hiking shoes or hiking boots or anything like that, but I think it would be why not to come here and like anything fancy by any means. Because no. I say that because we were here on like a drizzly day and I was wandering around by the Indian Memorial and stepped in like a pretty deep thing of mud mm, and made my yes. shoes dirty. So, I mean, I, I wasn't wearing like hiking boots, but I wasn't wearing dress shoes or anything by any means. So, bring a rain jacket. Rain jacket just in case. <laughs> just in case. Check the weather and Check, then bring yeah, appropriate right. weather things. Dress accordingly. Of all the parks we visited and talked about, I really feel like Little Bighorn was just a huge therapeutic lesson for me. It really was. I have a lot of feelings about it, as you can tell. And, I mean, I should. Any Anyone should if they visit this place. And I deserve these feelings. I think we all do. Little Bighorn is complicated. It's emotional. It's sad. And it's so important to American history. And even though it's taken a long time and there's still farther ways to go, it's nice to see history moving forward in the right direction and uh, bringing us all along this journey of learning together. You've been listening to Parklandia, a show about national parks. Parklandia is a production of iHeartRadio. Created by Matt Kerouac, Brad Kerouac, and Christopher Haziotis. Produced and edited by Mike Johns. Our executive producer is Christopher Haziotis. Our researcher is Jesslyn Shields. A special thanks goes out to Gabrielle Collins, Crystal Waters, and the rest of the Parklandia crew. And hey, listeners, if you're enjoying the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people like you find our show. You can keep up with us on social media as well. Check out our photos from our travels on Instagram at Parklandia Pod and join in on the conversation in our Facebook group, Parklandia Rangers. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And as always, thank you for listening. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. 
If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.